The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, trainings, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. Lisa Moscone. She's the Associate Director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Clinic at Whale Cornell Medical College. She's also an adjunct faculty member in the Department of Psychiatry at NYU School of Medicine. She is at the University of Florence in Italy in the Departments of Neurology and Nuclear Medicine. I mean, these are, just reading this, I'm a little in awe of Dr. Lisa. Uh, She also holds a dual PhD degree in neuroscience and nuclear medicine, and she's only 13 years old. No, I guess I have that wrong. I mean, she must be 113 to have done all these things, and she's a board-certified integrative nutritionist and holistic healthcare practitioner. Her book, Brain Food, The Surprising Science of Eating for Cognitive Power, is reviewed in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Dr. Lisa Moscone, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. The book was fascinating, is fascinating, and your credentials are astounding. <laughs> Thank so, you. I, I want to open up with, I mean, some of this stuff actually scared me to death. So let's, let's start with what scares me. Your book opens with the notion of what you call a looming brain health crisis. So what do you have in mind? So I'm a scientist and a neuroscientist, to be precise. And Alzheimer's disease has been the major focus of my research for the past 15 years. And at this point in time, Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia, affecting 46 million people um, on this planet. And the numbers are projected to grow to 130 million people by the year 2050. So it is a brain health crisis, and we are facing an Alzheimer's epidemic. And the problem, I believe, is that we... We perceive Alzheimer's disease in a way that makes us feel powerless against it. And for most people, 
Alzheimer's is either seen as some kind of inevitable outcome of genetics or of aging or both. But in reality, there is now a consensus that genes are not your destiny and aging is not a linear path to dementia. But in reality, your choices and your lifestyle and your behavior play a huge role in determining the way your brain is going to age, if you're going to age gracefully or not. And we're being, you know, we, we should all realize that we have more power than we realize. And that's why I wrote the book. So that's interesting. I mean, first of all, I mean, the notion of 130 million people with Alzheimer's alone, then there's other kinds of dementia, right? Yes, Alzheimer's is just one of the many forms of dementia. So is what's true about Alzheimer's in the sense that we do have some impact, I don't want to say control, but some impact over it, is that true of other forms of dementia as well? To some extent, yes. I think Alzheimer's is the the best documented form. I think vascular dementia also is understood to be uh, strongly related to lifestyle. There's more and more awareness that Parkinson's disease with dementia also is influenced by your lifestyle choices. So I think in general, we're um, we're starting to really realize that our behavior has a huge impact on our brain. And that's something very new in my field, in the field of neurology and neuroscience. Usually, like when I started in this field, um, like you said, I have a dual PhD in neuroscience and nuclear medicine, which is really code for biology, like real biology, extreme biology. And over the years, it just, it was so evident to me that yes, your DNA plays a role, but your life really is equal to that in determining risk. So it's nature and nurture, I guess, not just one or the other. So one of the things that was really interesting to me in brain food was uh, the realization that my brain or the changes in my brain that can lead to dementia of, of, I guess, any kind begin to happen decades before I actually experience anything that I would say is, oh, this looks like the onset of some, some kind of dementia, Alzheimer's or something else, that it actually starts in young adulthood. Yeah, this is really my research. Um, so I've been doing brain imaging for forever, I mean, since college, basically. And when I started, we were looking at patients with Alzheimer's. And then we started looking at patients with mild Alzheimer's. And then patients with almost Alzheimer's. And now we're really working with people who are like in their 40s and 50s. And we're able to to really track the beginning of Alzheimer's in the brain and the progression of brain changes that eventually lead to clinical symptoms. But really what happens is that Brain changes begin when we're 40 and 50 years old, and then it takes 20 years or longer to show symptoms. So there's a really long gap that is frightening in a way because you don't really know what's happening in your brain until much later on in life. But the good news is that we now have the tools, like brain imaging scans, to really look at people at risk and, and see and see what happens and if we can help, we can help now, like today. We don't have to wait. So, okay. So, so through brain scans, you can see whether or not, now I'm, I'm way past this, you know, 20s and above. I'm in my late 60s. 
But back then, so let's say 40 years ago when I was in my late 20s, if, if you had the, techni- the technology that you have now, if you had that then, you could see if uh, I've already had, the changes have already started and I could then deal with them. Is that fair to say? So you call these, well, I don't know what, what let, let me back it up a second. You've got this wonderful phrase that really caught my eye. I'm just going to read the, the sentence. This is from the book, Brain Food, where you write, Cognitive impairment is not a mere consequence of old age, but rather represents the end game of years after years of accumulated insults to the brain. That was the phrase, insults to the brain. So what are some of these insults to the brain that I've probably, I've probably been insulting my brain for decades and I didn't (laughs) even know it? I meant insults in a, in a very medical or biological terms. There, there's something that happens in the brains of people who eventually develop Alzheimer's. And it's very peculiar to Alzheimer's. It's very specific to Alzheimer's disease. Basically, there's accumulation of Alzheimer's plaques. And that's the, the most um, widely recognized and known feature of Alzheimer's disease, these plaques that somehow appear inside your brain, but there's a lot more that happens. Like um, there's another feature of Alzheimer's that's called the neurofibrillary tangle that uh, develop inside your brain cells and they disrupt uh, the functioning of our neurons from the inside. Um, there's oxidative stress that happens right, with uh, free radical formation and oxidation. There's basically inflammation inside your brain that is very difficult to turn down. And very, very often there is vascular damage as well. So did the people who are experiencing these things, and you're saying that it's not just genetics, it's, it's both, what, what, could, what did they do to trigger those things happening? Or what did we do to trigger those things happening? So um, I think for many, many years, people thought that uh, genetics, like your DNA, was the only reason for people to eventually develop Alzheimer's. And instead, uh, it took a long time, but finally scientists agree that at least one third of all Alzheimer's cases could be preventable by improving our lifestyle and specifically by, uh, by improving cardiovascular fitness. Um, intellectual stimulation, of course, physical activity, and of course, eating better. So what people, the risk factors for Alzheimer's are the opposite of these good things. So if you have a poor diet, if you don't exercise, if you lead a very sedentary life, if you don't stimulate your brain, if you have um, obesity, diabetes, uh, in some cases, even depression is a possible risk factor. Um, If you have heart disease, these are all factors that really impact the brain and make it more vulnerable to Alzheimer's disease. So what happens is that um, there is accumulation of Alzheimer's pathology naturally as many people get older and all these other factors really accelerate it and make it worse. So what clinicians are saying is that, and, and scientists are saying is that we should really target all these possible risk factors that we have control over to minimize and reduce risk of Alzheimer's for those who don't have Alzheimer's and also to slow down progression in patients who already have Alzheimer's. Okay, so that, that's where the choice comes in. That's where our lifestyle comes in. So I, I think most of us who are listening understand the cardiovascular 
and we need to go to the gym or walk briskly or do something, there are a lot of programs uh, available on your phone, apps for the phone, things on the to, to work on your uh, stimulating your intelligence and and. Is, is there something you recommend? Not necessarily. I'm, I'm not necessarily asking you to tell me what product to buy. It's very, it's, very, it's actually very interesting to me. Um, so I am the associate director of this Alzheimer's prevention clinic in New York City. So we have tried a number of things, and we've done a lot of research to to really try to understand what's been published and all the different results and what is marketing and what is real. And um, at the moment, there's it's controversial whether these apps and games are really helpful to improve memory, attention, and language, or are they just helpful to make you better at playing them? Right. <laughs> so if you're if you're okay. if you're playing this game, yes, you're getting better at, at following the rules of the game, and the, it feels like your memory is getting better because you're memorizing what you're doing. But does that translate to you're not losing your keys? or to your not forgetting names. And there's that that's not as clear. But what the research has shown instead is that um, is that uh, remaining intellectually stimulated also by playing games is a major feature of populations that um, live very healthy into old age. For instance, the centenarians, right? There are populations and communities of centenarians all over the world and they seem to enjoy playing games together. And for populations uh, with very high longevity rates, the one game that the brain seems to love the most is actually board games. Mm. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, so there's, there's good evidence from very solid, very large scale studies that playing board games is associated with a lower risk of dementia later on in life. And board games are both intellectually stimulating and also they really require a social setting around you. Like you can't play by yourself a board mm-hmm. game, right? You need to play with your friends and family, with your kids, with your grandchildren. And that's really important because there's a strong association between feeling satisfied in your relationships and the reduced risk of dementia later in life as well. So when you say board games, I mean, that could be anything from Monopoly or Parcheesi, or are we talking chess? Oh, also, also. The studies don't really discriminate, but usually because they're 
they were done in France and Italy and Greece. I think is the kind of board, the kind of board games that we play. So I guess it's Scrabble or even playing cards like Briscola. I don't know if you know that one. Ah, that's very interesting. So now I know why my mother's so sharp. She's always playing cards. Bridge, <laughs> right? Those are yeah. really those are mind teasers. They're very they're very hard. Very interesting. All right. So so that's a place to start. If people are listening, they can go, all right, I'm going to start playing Scrabble with people or Bridge. Uh, you also talk about oh, things that I, I didn't, I, I mean, I, I don't know. These were just surprising to me. So water is something that you say is really important. So what is, what you, how much water should we be drinking? A lot, <laughs> a lot more than, than Americans drink, I think. And the reason is that the brain is mostly made of water. Like everybody's familiar with the concept that the brain contains a lot of fat. But in reality, the brain is really over 80% of the brain's content is water. And every chemical reaction that takes place in the brain needs water to occur as the medium, even energy production. So that makes the brain very sensitive to dehydration. So even a minimal loss of water, like a 2 to 4% reduction, which is really nothing, um, can cause symptoms like neurological symptoms, like brain fog, fatigue, dizziness, confusion. And even worse than that, um, it literally makes your brain shrink. Right? There are brain imaging studies showing that even mild dehydration makes your brain actually lose volume. And you don't want that. That's the one thing you don't want. <laughs> that seems pretty clear. I didn't know water... Lack of water could do that. So, and, and we're talking about drinking it, not just dunking my head in a, in a big sink or Drink, something. Yeah, and it's drinking it and drinking a very specific kind of water. But one thing that, that was very surprising to me when I moved to New York is how useless in some ways the, the water is. Like, you can easily find purified water, distilled water, partially purified water, soda, um, club soda, club uh, seltzer. These beverages are not water. They lack all the nutrients that make water nutritious in a way. All the nutrients have been artificially removed. So all the minerals, all the electrolytes, they're gone. So you're left with H2O, which is the fluid, but not the benefits of, of the water that you're drinking. So is there a specific kind of water you suggest? Yeah, real water. <laughs> uh, spring water, mineral water, natural water, also tap water if it's good enough in whichever part of the country people live. Um, there are fil filtration systems that are needed because in many parts of the country, the water is just not pure, it's just not clean. But if that's your water, then you really need to take a mineral supplement, mineral and electrolytes. And by electrolytes, I don't mean Gatorade. It's not an <laughs> excuse to drink. It's more real. Um, they're called oral rehydration salts. And they can be found online. They can be, you know, you can ask the doctor. Wow. Yes, but it's really important. It's, it's really right. important. Many Americans are dehydrated, and they just don't know that. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I can see that in myself. I think that that's true. My brain is definitely shrinking, and I'll just have to hydrate it. We've we've got less than two minutes left, and I wanted to ask you about uh, babies. Oh yeah. So how do we start babies on a brain health 
path? So this is really, I think it, it, it's a fascinating topic. And what we, as parents, I'm, I'm a mom, my, my daughter is two and a half. So I really have been focusing on this a lot. And um, I think we all need to, to realize that um, everywhere else in the body, cells regrow. Like if you lose your hair, they grow back. Your blood cells, they keep dying and being renewed. Even the skeleton gets renewed at, at the rate of 10% per year. So even your bones, they're kind of regenerating in some ways. Your brain lacks this capacity. By and large, but, you know, some neurons keep, keep growing in the brain, but mostly all the neurons we have are born with us and they really grow uh, from infancy throughout adolescence, and that pretty much, pretty much that's it. So you really want to provide good basis for your neurons because they're the only neurons you will ever have, and they're going to age with you. So you really need to to make them strong as soon as you can, and that's when you are a baby. <laughs> so it's really important what, what babies eat, um, not processed food. What's really important is that. A baby brain is a little bit like a sponge and whatever you put in the system doesn't get filtered out the way that an adult brain is protected. So a baby brain is much more vulnerable and sensitive to whatever you put inside your body. And so my major recommendation is to stay away from processed foods, packaged foods, dry foods, fast food, anything like it's better to go natural. Whole foods, just focus on whole foods, plenty of vegetables, fruit, oats are very good for babies, whole grains, legumes, and fish. Fish is really good for, for the brain, for brain development. Yogurt is another really good food for a baby. Wow. Okay. I've got a two-year-old grandson. I will contact, I will contact my kids and <laughs> tell them that don't let me feed the baby anymore because I was doing it all wrong. My so. daughter has goji berries for, for his neck. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to talk to them and see what they do. <laughs> this was really fascinating. And, and you know, we are, we are out of time. Our guest today was Dr. Lisa Moscone. You can read a review of her new book, Brain Food, The Surprising Science of Eating for Cognitive Power. And you can read, uh, read that review in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Dr. Moscone, thanks so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Mine as well. Thank you. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, training, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. Before we sign off, let me remind you that this year is the 20th anniversary of Spirituality and Health magazine. As part of our celebration, I'm leading an interspiritual tour of the Holy Land. This is part tour, part pilgrimage, as we engage in contemplative practices linked to the various sites we will visit, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and Baha'i. For more information, please visit us at spiritualityhealth.com backslash holyland hyphen with hyphen Rami. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log in to spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats. 
and to download the iTunes app for this podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. <laughs>